It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley. We're in remote situations again. We welcome into our Thursday podcast of Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. We're doing a split screen because one of us has COVID, the other is recovering from surgery. So we're just bringing you the best we can while we're still on the disabled list. John, are you ready? Because we've got a lot of things to talk about as we head towards a great sports weekend. I mean, this first topic that you put on the table about the Padres is unbelievable. So I want to hear you break it all down. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers for fall. Fix it, build it, and you will enjoy it. What a bad week for the Padres organization, not so much on the field, but in the front office and in terms of credibility and appearance in the community. A yeah. week ago, the Union Tribune interviewed 24 different Padre players and staffers and wrote a rather convincing analysis that the Padres have a culture problem from front office to dugout. Then the Athletic went public and wrote a 32 person opinion piece on the Padres, and it did not paint a flattering picture about the general manager, A.J. Preller, all the people that work for him, and what happens up top and how it's filtered down in the bottom into the dugout. And on top of that, obviously, this is probably going to be a non-playoff baseball season. Let's look at the quotes that were posted by The Athletic. This comes from current players, former players, former staffers, as well as baseball executives on other clubs who have opinions about the Padres. Across the board, institutional failure, I'm sure that's got to do with communication and with culture. The GM-manager relationship, unfixable, according to baseball executives, that there's a great disconnect between the general manager and the manager that he hired. They call the roster in the clubhouse, not so much on the field, just an absolute disaster. They blame Preller for having his fingerprints, John, on virtually everything. And the insinuation is you can't have a general manager in the dugout running the business that Bob Melvin is supposed to be running. Says there's a feel, a very uncomfortable feel in the clubhouse that Preller's got spies in different locations of the clubhouse, which is not good because that means it's not Melvin's clubhouse, it's not the player's clubhouse. You know, you look at the other situation, three managers in a row have now had their relationship with Preller deteriorate at the end, right before they got fired, is Bob Melvin on that same track. So the clubhouse is just a fractured mess. That's got to do with personalities. It's probably got to do with pay. One player said this is the most toxic situation I've ever been in. You got big salaries. You got big egos. The Fab Four is all about their individual stats. It's not a team goal concept and just toxic pessimism. Now, I've been in that clubhouse a lot over the long group of years. This clubhouse has got a strange feel to it. Not as ugly as the clubhouse when Matt Kemp was here and Justin Upton was here and James Shields was here, but this thing just doesn't feel right. And, of course, the UT was of the opinion that Manny Machado 
has such a huge presence in the clubhouse that nobody's willing to stand up and confront him on anything. You know, the one one condemning thing that I got out of the UT uh, article, uh, and this kind of carries over to what the Athletic just wrote, John, had 18 meetings during the season while the things were unraveling, and nothing positive came out of the team meetings. A lot of rhetoric, and nothing changed whatsoever. So this is really a bad look, a bad optic, and Peter Seidler's got his hands full. We say prayers for Peter Seidler in his battle coming back from another surgery. He's not at Pitco Park yet not coming to any more games, who knows when he'll be able to actually go back into the office. But at the end of the day, they got a culture problem, they got a leadership problem, and obviously it's spilled into the clubhouse. And now people everywhere in baseball are talking about it. So, John, I don't I don't think it's a good scene. I don't know how you fix it because you've got a GM that's under contract into 2027. I don't know how you fix it when every big money contract he gave runs anywhere from 8 to 10 to 11 to 14 years. And I don't know how you fix it and get beneath the luxury tax because they, they've got to add players, which means they've got to spend more money to be able to complete the roster. Don't like anything I hear, read, or feel about the Padre Clubhouse right now. John, you're out in left field today. Give us a response. <laughs> this is incredible. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, first of all, this makes a lot more sense to me than the article in the UT that was sort of kind of blaming Manny for, you know, most of the problems. But I have always been a guy that has backed Preller because I look at all the deals he's making and not every deal he's made has been perfect. But overall, I thought he is net positive in the trades he's made, the free agent signings he's made. Um, players just not performing. But when I read this list that you put on the board here from all this from the athletic um, article, this is too much meddling, you know, so you're, you ask the question, can he fix it? You know, the contracts are, are locked in. So maybe the thing that can be fixed is either getting rid of Preller or adjusting the way that he manages from, you know, his front office. If he could just back off the meddling and let Melvin do his job, maybe we've got a shot. You like dogs, Dalmatians. <laughs> do the spots on a Dalmatian change? No, I don't think the spots mm. on Preller are going to change. He is the way he is. That's his philosophy of how he runs. I don't think they're going to fire Melvin. I've been told from somebody that I trust that Melvin just might walk away from it, that he doesn't need this aggravation if he can't be the manager that he needs to be with the style he needs to be. He might walk away. And that creates another problem because John as much as I might like Preller or you honor Preller's acquisitions, John, can you trust Preller to hire a manager considering he's hired three and three may vacate on top of the fact, didn't want to interview Dave Roberts on top of the fact, fired Bud Black. It's not, I don't think it's a good situation. They're in, they're in chaos as they go to the final week of the season. That's yeah. not the only story in baseball. <laughs> we'll go from Padreville Let's go to Chavez Ravine, because this is really interesting. This so is about Clayton Kershaw. Okay. Clayton Kershaw this week was asked about clubhouse culture. In essence, how in the world are the Dodgers in first place, having gotten rid of 11 veteran players, gotten beneath the luxury tax, rented these free agents, and had all these injuries to the starting rotation? How are they in first place? 
and Kershaw popped off and he just talked about the culture of Dodger clubhouse and the culture being team, the culture being preparation, the culture being no ego from any of our superstars, humility, and a manager that leads in players who respond. So in essence, Kershaw was talking the Dodger way, but indirectly, I wonder if he was looking south on I-5 and saying, look, look at that Padre clubhouse culture and chemistry compared to us. And by the way, since they mocked me on the video board at Petco Park, we're in first place and we're going to the postseason. We might even win 100 games. So I thought it was interesting. The Kershaw quotes showed up a day after the athletic website spilled everything nationwide with all these quotes from other people. Response? It, well, it's a natural question. You know, we're, we're always comparing the Dodgers and Padres. And on paper, they should be very competitive. What's the difference? So it makes sense that that question was asked of Kershaw. And then here we are, the Padres. We could have had Dave Roberts, but we didn't even interview him. We just let him go. And now he's had this great record in L.A. So, you know, this is just killing us. The Dodgers have had a great culture, track record, history for a long, long time. We brought in... Well, Seidler bought into the team. We thought we were getting some of that O'Malley, you know, secret sauce. We need to figure out a way to implement it here in San Diego. Just amazing where the Dodgers are versus where the Padres would have been. Third team that we're talking about, John. Okay. The Angels. The Angels are back in the news here. I mean, what's going on here with Otani? Is he going to have surgery? Otani had surgery on Tuesday. It was kind of behind the curtain. Nobody was notified this was going to happen. Wednesday, then they issued the press release. Shohei Otani goes to the Curl and Joe Clinic. He does not have Tommy John surgery. Dr. Neil L. Atrache, who's really the elite surgeon of baseball pitchers now, does what's called brace surgery. Brace surgery is a strengthening of the tissue around the elbow. They inject stem cell to help the tissue grow. He can come back from brace surgery maybe within four months and start to begin the regimen of throwing. He will be, because the surgery was a success, because they didn't have to repair the ligament, they're building around the ligament. He will be able to go to spring training, and he will be a DH right from Mm -hmm. the get-go. And he'll continue whatever regimen they continue with him throwing pitches, John. And then by 2025 spring training, He'll be good to go. And there are a number of pitchers that have gone through this new process, brace surgery, not the Tommy John transplant, the brace surgery, who've come back and have pitched fairly effectively. So that's where we are with the Otani surgery. That being said, he becomes a free agent the day after the World Series ends. And then the burning question, who bids what and what is the dollar value to get Shohei signed? And are you going to pay him mega money just to be a DH? Or is it mega money with the hope he can be the two-position superstar he's become. Meanwhile, we got the uh, the follow-up on the Anthony Rendon situation. Rendon is back in the Angel Clubhouse, will not play the rest of the season. He's got the fractured tibia, took five doctors to finally diagnose what was wrong. I don't think it's a condemnation of the Angel doctors because they went to second, third, and fourth outside opinions. Nobody could find it, and then an MRI finally did find uh, the minor fracture. But he's missed 338 games in three years. He is he has not earned his money at all. He just he just had a black cloud all over him. So that's the latest on the Angels as the Angels bottom out 
or it's been a horrible September and a collapse since the trading deadline. And they just can't get out from beneath the crush of injuries. And who knows whether Mike Trout will ask to be traded? Who knows whether they legitimately have a chance to get Otani back? And who knows whether Anthony Rondon will ever be in Anaheim what he was uh, with the Washington Nationals? Your turn, John. What a disaster. I, I I think Trout is out. I mean, I think he's going to move on because he deserves a, a shot at a championship, and that's not going to happen in Anaheim for the next five years. As far as Otani goes, um, he will get paid big money, even if he's a DH only, because as a hitter, he's a better hitter than almost everybody in the league. So he should be getting, what, $40 million a year, maybe more, even as a DH. I still think the San Francisco Giants are the dark horse to get him. Uh, boy, it'd be really nice to see him at Oracle Park in San Francisco. Oh, you're doing this this with your heart rather than your head. <laughs> are you meaning to tell me that if the people from area code 213, Elysian, Vin Scullyway call, that Otani's people are not going to pick up the phone? And again, you got World Series championship trophies. You got the Dodger way. I don't know that anybody can compete against the Dodgers, aside from dollars, based on their track record, their history. I I think Otani, Los Angeles, means an awful lot. Yeah, okay, that's the favorite. We got a solution to a baseball headache that's gone on forever and ever. Really? Okay, so this is the Tampa story. What's, what's happening here, Lee? Uh, the owners of the Tampa Bay Rays, St. Petersburg, and Pinellas County have reached agreement to build a new stadium. Stuart Sternberg is going to build a 30,000-seat domed stadium next to Tropicana Field in what's called the Gas Light District. He's going to pay 50% of the cost of a $1.2 billion stadium. Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Pinellas County are going to put their money into a pot, and they're going to pay the other 50%. Now, the, the big question to me, and they've had a really good team over a whole group of years, and they've, they've done it with creative baseball people, limited budgets, lousy crowds, tin can of a stadium, and they're still winning. Are the fans in the Sun Coast going to support Major League Baseball? Because I, I would have bet when, John, when baseball expanded back in the day to Miami with the Florida Marlins and then to Tampa, there are a lot of transplants, a lot of baseball fans that live in South Florida and on the Sun Coast. And there's an enormous Hispanic heritage of population who came from all the Caribbean countries, Cuba included, who love baseball, passionate baseball. Baseball's their sport. And neither the Marlins nor Tampa Bay have really drawn at all. So shiny new stadium coming next door to Tropicana Field at the Sundome, burning question, will people in South Florida support it? Because they have not. And that's why the Marlins were winning the World Series and Tampa Bay was doing what Tampa Bay did. Response. Yeah, th that's a fair question. I mean, there there's so much success with Tampa and yet they don't draw. And yeah, it's maybe not a very great stadium, but they would still you would expect them to draw considering their track record and all those retirees that are, you know, down there in Florida, all the Mets fans and Yankee fans and Cub fans that live down in Florida. But maybe the community there is just content watching it on TV, you know, because it's mostly retired folks. Um, it is a puzzle to me why they are doubling down in Tampa. I guess they just believe it's going to work, but it hasn't worked so far. Yeah. So, you know, baseball has a solution now on the Sun Coast. 
I don't know whether there is a finalization of a solution with the Oakland Athletics in Las Vegas. They're still arguing over who's paying what share, et cetera. Although it's going to be voted on in November by the baseball owners. And still out there, you got Portland, you got Nashville, you got Charlotte, and you got Montreal, who still want Major League Baseball franchises. Uh, Rob Manfred has made the comment, John, that once we solve the stadium situations, Oakland, Tampa, we will consider expansion. Maybe the first Monday in December when you and I are having breakfast, the owners will say, we're ready to expand. Charlotte, Portland, Nashville, Montreal, give us your proposal and your idea about a major league stadium. So we have a lot of baseball out there to talk about. Hey, we get to halftime. Our podcast as we kick off this great sports weekend brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Centers for fall. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. And speaking of fall, you got projects around your home, you're going to do it yourself, or you're going to buy the ingredients and let somebody else help you with your projects, you need Dixie Line. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Storage. You name it, they've got it. What you should do, and there's nine Dixie Line stores here in San Diego County, what you should do is take a drive over on a Saturday and just walk through the facility at Dixie Line and see all the things they have to offer. You name it. They can supply you the supplies to fix it or have you design it and somebody come get it all. Check out the great fall values, DixieLine.com. As we like to say, DixieLine, fix it, build it. You will enjoy it. We move to the second half of our Thursday podcast here as we go towards a great sports weekend. John, we got football stories left, right and center to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's been a great first two weeks. There's some teams that are surprising us, some teams that have a lot of work to do. I mean, we're, how do you see this going down, Lee? Well, let me let me go through the NFL notebook, and we'll just uh, streamline quickly. Uh, Cleveland Browns, uh, they got issues on a couple of different fronts. They've lost the devastating injury, might be career-threatening Nick Chubb. Uh, dislocated kneecap, may have at least two torn knee ligaments. We're talking massive rehab this is one of the best power runners in the national football league it's that's a shame because he was the engine that made everything else work in cleveland offensively sadly this is the same left knee that he had three ligament tears while he was at the university of georgia in 2015. they went back into the marketplace quickly i don't know why this guy was still available but they brought him back kareem hunt who is nick chubb's backup who played a lot in third down situations, ex-Brown, ex-Chief. Kareem Hunt has just signed. He'll be ready to play this weekend. The key thing, he walks in the front door. He knows the playbook. Uh, The other big issue, nobody's talking about it yet. I watch closely uh, both these Browns games. Deshaun Watson does not look like the Deshaun Watson, who was a starting quarterback and putting up really good numbers in Houston until he got himself in trouble off the field. He just doesn't look right. And I don't know whether it's him having been away from football for more than a year, although he had the second half of last season and all the OTAs to get ingrained in the system, or whether what Kevin Stefanski is running from a playbook standpoint just doesn't work. So that's that's a big issue there. So that's the Brown story. This is not a good story with the Raiders. I mean, they're one and one. They they don't look like they have all the bullets in the gun to fight the fight. Now they got a problem with their starting defensive end, who they paid a lot of money to, in Chandler Jones. Left the facility two weeks ago, 
got involved in a pile of social media issues with the owner, the general manager, the head coach, barred from the facility, has just ranted and raved. An emergency call was made and a crisis command went to his home to check his mental health out. Nothing happened at that point in time. He has now been put on the NFI non-football injured list, which to me means a mental health issue. And they're not communicating. And there's a huge issue because they just gave him three years, $51 million. This is not a good situation for him to be acting the way he's acting. Uh, NFL Players Association, John, has lots of programs that they can offer their players who have problems. Why the NFL union has not done with their doctors an intervention to help this guy because he's a pretty good football player. But right now, it looks like he's got a lot of problems off the field. And somebody needs to explain to me what's happened to Josh Jacobs, the running back, uh, who held out and then finally came to camp and signed a one-year extension. Last week, John, I've never seen this before. This is a star running back, Pro Bowl running back, big-time running back. Nine carries, minus two yards in offense. That's absolutely amazing. And Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback, but I think historically he manages games. I don't think he goes out and throws for 420 and win games. So right now the the Raiders just don't seem right. And in terms of the Rams situation, uh, on the field, they're one and one. Uh, Off the field, another issue with their star running back, Cam Akers. Now he's gone. They traded him late on Wednesday night to Minnesota. And this was a high draft pick. They traded him and all they got out of it was his sixth round draft pick. So he goes to the Vikings. They'll provide Minnesota a lot of dart and dash run. They'll work on him catching the ball out of the field, backfield. In in two full seasons with the Rams, as a part-time guy, he had over 1,600 all-purpose yards. So the guy is productive. The guy is young. The guy's recovered from the Achilles injury. But boy, there there was some disconnect between him and Sean McVay and him barking about, I need the ball all the time. And they were running their offense to a lot of other uh, people along the way. So he's done with the Rams. He goes to Minnesota. He'll help probably immediately for Kevin O'Connell's Vikings. But to me, it, it leaves, a, I think, a huge hole in the Rams offense. And I, I don't think they're a complete offensive football team right now because of the injuries, et cetera. So, John, I threw a lot at you. Give me your response to the Browns, to the Raiders, to the Rams. Well, the Rams, as far as they're concerned, I see a lot of the feedback on social media to the content we're putting out there. The Rams fans, you know, the few that exist, are still pretty fired up for this team. They think that they're playing better than they expected. You know, they're, they they thought that they were in that game against the 49ers. So, you know, maybe they're going to keep kind of doing better than we expect. You know, we'll see here. But go, going back to the Browns, though, I mean, what a disastrous, you know, injury. I don't know. Did they ever show that on television? I think they kind of shielded us from it. One time they saw it. And it was from what I was told, the angle that his knee bent when he took the hit. It wasn't a cheap shot hit. It was just a blow to the leg and his, his cleats planted and he went one way, the leg went the other. It's oh. it's a gruesome injury. And I, I, I fear because it's the second time this has happened with the same knee, uh, almost the exact same type of injury. I, I fear this is career ending. It's tough to come back from one, much less come back from twice. But I'm with you on Deshaun Watson. I watched that game and I'm thinking, this guy is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I, I just didn't see it. Concur with you wholeheartedly. Okay, let's move on. Interesting weekend of games here. We go to weekend three, John. <laughs> let's talk about Chargers Vikings. Somebody's going to be 0 3 by Sunday night and somebody's going to be in a lot of trouble by Sunday night. 
you got the Charger defense, which is leaky to say the best, pass defense, which is deplorable, and you got Kirk Cousins who throws for 4,000 yards every season. This Bolts pass defense, I went back and, and did a check. This pass defense, John, in two games, has given up 28 pass plays of plus 10. That's the equivalent of 28 first downs through the air. It's given up 13 pass plays of plus 20. You're talking about chunk yards? The DBs in the backfield for the Chargers have given up passes of 40, 47, 49, 75, and 76 yards in two weeks. And here comes Kirk Cousins throwing to Justin Jefferson, who had 15 catches last week. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, Minnesota's got three tight ends that all catch the ball. And Charger linebacking and pass defense is substandard. Bolts better not get on the plane 0-3 because I don't think a lot of people here on the West Coast are going to be very forgiving. And it's a mystery to me why they're 0-3. The only thing that saves them, they got to open up the playbook and Justin Herbert has to attack downfield. If it's got to be 42-38, that's okay as long as Herbert's team wins because I know Cousins is going to throw for a bucket full of yards against the Bolts defense. Your response? Is Eckler back this week? No, not practicing. Ankle is still the ankle. Eric Kendricks not practicing. Very limited practices for Joey Bosa. I mean, they're nicked up with what quality defensive players they have, and I don't think they have enough defensive players. Wow. Well, Cam Akers, maybe he might get some playing time uh, this week with the Vikings? Maybe, but it's awful tough to show up on a Wednesday or Thursday, digest the playbook, and be able to go take a lot of snaps. Only time will tell. But this is Kirk Cousins' offense, and pal, Kirk Cousins goes down the field. Right on. Uh, Second game, Denver-Miami. Got a Bronco team that is in real disarray. All of a sudden, because of all these turnovers, people are again questioning, can Russell Wilson play? And where is Sean Payton's influence? Well, I'll spin back, and I don't use excuses as an injury. I, I use injuries as an explanation. they got so many hurt people in Denver right now. That's why they're struggling. But Tua is just tearing up the secondaries. Tagovailoa has just got this offense hitting on all cylinders right now for the uh, Dolphins. Um, two weeks in for Denver, just way too many injuries. I don't think this is going to be a good Sunday for the Broncos. I think they're going to come home and they're going to be 0-3. Yeah, it's Tua. It's, this is the year of Tua, I think. Raiders-Pittsburgh. This will be a back-alley street fight. Steelers got up off the deck after playing so poorly in week one at home and getting killed, got up off the deck after they were losing in week two and came back and posted a pretty impressive win. Pittsburgh's defense last weekend had six sacks, two touchdowns off their defense, and they they just played down in the gutter, dirty defense. I mean, they beat on you. They're just relentless. They got a, a bunch of guys that just fly to the ball and just there's no give up whatsoever. And the Raiders... I don't know where the offense is going to come from. If their offensive line, which has been rebuilt again, can't run block for Josh Jacobs, that puts it all on Jimmy G. But Jimmy G does not have a history, even though he's got a good one-loss record, of throwing for 355 yards every week, putting the ball in the end zone. Where's the offense going to come from? Because now you're nursing Devontae Adams through a concussion. Uh, I know the Raiders, Raiders could be in trouble. This this road game probably comes at the right time for the Steelers because they don't want to be one and two at this point. But boy, I'll be it'll be worth watching this 
brawl in the gutter because that's the way the Steelers are trying to play football right now because their offense is so limited. Steelers Raiders, man, this goes back to the glory days of the Oakland Raiders in the Coliseum. Um, but yeah, the Raiders, I don't know, they're just like a lost hope. But I, you know, this Kenny Pickett kid kind of surprises me a bit, you know, Pickett to pick ends, you know, for the touchdown. I mean, do you think he has a future in the NFL? He does. Uh, they need to protect him. He was scrambling a lot, took a lot of hits last week. And Pittsburgh is not a complete offensive team yet. They're still not running the ball the way they had in the past. So this will be a challenge. Uh, Cincinnati Rams, you got Joe Burrow calf issue again. It flared last week. I don't know if they can put out on the field. Can the offensive line protect whoever's going to quarterback? That's an issue. Cincinnati's defense is springing leaps. Matthew Stafford is throwing the football to everybody, including how about Puka Nakusa? 25 catches in his first two games with the Rams. Wow. Cincinnati could be on the brink of going 0 3. Yeah, Joe Burrow's going to bounce back. You know that this team is too talented to go 0-3. Well, bounce back if he's on the field, but if this calf is flared again, can you afford to put him on the field? Other big game. They're both 2-0, but they're not probably not equal. I'm talking Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. Who are you going to stop? Who is Tampa's defense, which is pretty good? <laughs> who are you going to stop? You're going to stop Jalen Hurts? You're going to stop DeAndre Swift, who had 173 yards rushing? You're going to stop Devonta Smith and all the wide receivers they've got? My goodness. Baker Mayfield can't make mistakes. It's a Philadelphia defense that forces mistakes along the way. I don't know that Tampa's got any running game. They do have three pass-catching wide receivers. I think Baker's got to make it a throwing contest. But, you know, has Tampa got the ability to take Jalen Hurts off the field? I don't see any three and outs in the weather forecast on Sunday, John. Yeah, no way. I mean, this Jalen Hurts is going to roll here, but Baker Mayfield is still that scrappy guy. You know, he might, you know, pull a rabbit out of his hat. He's fun to root for, but yeah, the, the Bucks have no chance. Our Thursday podcast brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Center Stores. For fall, fix it, build it, and enjoy it. John, college football. Big <laughs> game Saturday. I know, I know you don't like having COVID. You're going to stay home and you're going to watch every game from 9 a.m. on on Saturday. Oregon, Colorado, Bo Nix, Shadur Sanders, will either defense slow down the other quarterback? I mean, the biggest surprise to me is how well Deion Sanders has his kids playing defense. I always thought the offense was going to be explosive. So the big, biggest question, can the Ducks defense slow down Shadur? Will the Buffs defense slow down Bo Nix? Ohio State, Notre Dame. Now, Kyle McCord, the young starting quarterback. I don't know where the running game is gone. Ohio State's not playing Powerball the way they normally play Powerball. I mean, they do have the great young wide receiver, Marvin Harrison, but they're not thrown for tons and tons of yards offensively. The Irish, that's a pretty physical defense. Good running back, young quarterback. Ferguson's done a good job there in South Bend. So this will be a credibility check, I think, for Ohio State. Florida State Clemson, Jordan Travis, big play, quarterback, Seminoles playing really well. Tigers, to me, just don't have a quarterback like they've had in the, in the past. I think Clemson's slipping from the upper line of the ACC. UCLA-Utah, Dante Moore starting quarterback. Wow. Now you're going to play somebody real. Utes, rugged defense. Utes, physical force. Utes hostile environment at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. This is going to be the coming out party for Dante Moore. 
Oregon State, Washington State, two best friends, the only ones left in that conference. <laughs> you got the Beavers' physical force defense against Washington State's Cam Ward, a quarterback most people don't know. He makes things happen going down the field. And you got San Diego State, Boise State. Aztecs just beating up playing all these power five people. I think they're going to rebound. I think this is going to be a really good game. The winner kind of moves into first place in the Mountain West Conference. As brutal as the last two beatdowns have been, and San Diego State's given up 1,025 yards last two weeks, I think the Aztecs are now ready to play because they're playing people at their level. And I think what Ryan Lindley's doing with the offense and what they're doing creatively and aggressively with the defense of Kurt Maddox, I, I think they're going to hold their own the rest of the way against guys in the Mountain West. John, I put a lot up on your bulletin board, pick a game or two and make a comment. Well, we got to talk about Coach Prime. And, and I mean, I just am so thrilled for that that team. And, you know, people have been counting them out. Oh, you'll never beat TCU. Oh, Nebraska is going to get you. Um, if they roll into Oregon, into Eugene and beat the Ducks, that's going to shut up a lot of people and they're going to be 4-0. But I'll tell you what, if you follow Coach Prime on social media, what a great follow he is. He had a video up there where he brought in all the women that are on the staff supporting the football program in the film room, showing all the team and talking about respecting women and, and uh, you know, being a gentleman on and off the field. I mean, he is setting the tone with quality character. I love seeing that. But I want to go back to the UCLA-Utah game. Is Cam Rising back for, for the Utes? He was not last week. They may go with the backup again. He's practiced, but he's not played. Again, he's coming off late season, post-bowl knee surgery. So I think they have to be very careful with him. Wow. So this is, yeah, it'll be a big game. All day Saturday, NFL on Sunday, man. We're going to be locked and loaded, Lee. Aztecs Boise, quick comment. Yeah, well, I think it's time for the Aztecs to show up, man. I mean, we've been expecting Ryan Lindley's offense to get a bit electric. They were overmatched against Oregon and UCLA, Oregon State, UCLA. Now's the time. So if if Hoke can pull this thing together, then there's hope for the season. If they struggle against the Broncos, it could be another rough one. Okay, a reminder, because we've had to do this because we're both on the disabled list split screen. We promise you we will get back to fans forum once we get back into our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego. Program note, if you like what we're doing, subscribe, share, tell your friends. Go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. Check that out daily. I write a ton of stuff, a lot of topics on the table. And because we're both on the disabled list, we would appreciate you giving us a thumbs up. You would appreciate giving us a five-star rating along the way. And our podcast brought to you each week by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. For fall, fix it, build it, enjoy it. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you come bonus Monday. Bonus Monday, hopefully back in the studio. And thanks to you for watching us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.